TechBiter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 434, February 15th, 2015. This week, sometimes downloading open source software such as FileZilla can be dangerous because the host site adds unwanted applications to the installer. To avoid giving away important information when using a Wi-Fi hotspot, it's a good idea to run a virtual private network application. In short circuits, Microsoft pushes into mobile computing and unreasonable fear that televisions are spying on their owners. On the website only, Spare Parts takes note of a new NASA photo project, the Drones for Good winners have been announced, and a service you probably never heard of is about to shut down. I've recommended FileZilla for years because it is the best and most versatile FTP client available, free or paid, and it's free. Recent changes, though, place the FileZilla installation file in the middle of a minefield, and good luck trying to obtain it. I'll show you some options. The fault doesn't lie entirely with FileZilla, but the developer could take one of several steps to eliminate the problem. The real problem is with SourceForge. SourceForge has been a major repository of open-source software for years, but now downloads from SourceForge are wrapped in installer software that brings adware, spyware, and malware with it. And yes, that's every bit as bad as it sounds. My advice is to avoid SourceForge entirely. What was once a worthwhile service is now little more than a malware depot. Unfortunately, FileZilla is being blamed for the malware. The FileZilla installer is clean. It's the wrapper from SourceForge that contains the malware. In a test last week, I installed the latest version of FileZilla as downloaded from SourceForge. I expanded every dialog box, and I carefully read every notice. After declining every single offer from the installer, I allowed the FileZilla installation to proceed. And when the installation was complete, I found that the FoxTab speed dial had been installed. Now, whether or not you consider the browser helper object FoxTab speed dial to be adware or malware is unimportant. What is important is that it was installed without my permission and after I had explicitly declined all offers of additional products. As for the FoxTab browser helper, it's a browser extension, works with Chrome, Firefox, and Internet Explorer. It modifies the browser's search and home pages, and it handles page not found and DNS direction. Page not found are those 404 errors you see. Because it changes the browser's performance, I consider it to be potentially dangerous and certainly unwanted. And it will push unwanted advertisements to your browser. Although this isn't a problem caused by FileZilla, the developer of the application is often blamed for the problem. I found some recent FileZilla reviews that said things like, This file is dangerous. It's Trojan. Malware City. Let the downloader beware. Malware included. FileZilla is a virus and infected my computer. 
Well, FileZilla isn't a virus, and FileZilla didn't infect your computer. But FileZilla does get blamed, and that's sad. It's doubly sad because another formerly trusted resource, SourceForge, can now no longer be trusted. Apparently, SourceForge was acquired by a new company, and that company effectively forces developers of the most popular projects to use the SourceForge installer. That installer includes various types of adware, spyware, and malware. Other download repositories exist, CNET and Major Geeks, for example. But, you know, I've seen complaints about both of them for using wrappers that install questionable software, too. Previously, both of them sometimes surrounded the download links you wanted with other offers, but when you found the right link, the application that you wanted was the one you received. So I did some testing. I checked CNET and Download.com. CNET operates Download. The file size I received was 6.224 megabytes. That's exactly the FileZilla installer without any accessories. Major Geeks. The file size I received for Major Geeks, 9.267 megabytes. That's 3 megabytes too big. What's in there besides FileZilla? Now, Major Geeks does seem to be fairly well trusted, but I have to wonder... What's the extra 3 megabytes? Softpedia, file size 6.224 megabytes. That is the FileZilla installer. No accessories. And SourceForge, the file is 748 kilobytes. Wow, that's small. And it's small because it's only the wrapper. The wrapper will download FileZilla. And it'll download a bunch of other stuff you don't want. In my opinion, software publishers who have used SourceForge should remove their applications immediately. And those who want to download open source software should find some other repository. But there is a way to obtain the latest version of FileZilla safely, even from SourceForge. There are actually a couple of possibilities for obtaining the clean installer for the latest version of FileZilla. First, if FileZilla is already installed on your computer, just select Help from the menu and then click Check for Updates. If an update exists, FileZilla will offer to download it and install it for you. In this case, the file will be downloaded directly from the FileZilla site. In addition to installing a clean copy of the current version, the process will save the clean installer to your computer's default downloads directory. The second option is a little more complex. If you visit FileZilla's website download page, you'll see only one download option, and that will take you to SourceForge. However, there's a hidden switch. At the end of the URL, you can add a question mark, and then the words show underscore all equals number one. Put that at the end of the URL, and instead of the button that references SourceForge's poisoned installer, you'll see a list of installers. Hover over that, and you'll see a URL that ends with question mark no wrap. That no wrap switch at the end tells SourceForge to omit. It's malware-ridden wrapper. I consider option two at best to be a temporary workaround. Given the recent history of SourceForge, there's no guarantee that the no-wrap switch will continue to be honored. The better solution would be to capture the installer using the FileZilla update process. An even better option would be for the developer of FileZilla, Tim Cossey, to sever all ties with SourceForge. SourceForge contains downloads for many of the most popular open-source projects, FileZilla, of course, but the popular VLC Media Player is there, Apache OpenOffice is there, and lots more. It used to house the popular open-sourced graphics program GIMP, 
but the developers of GIMP have removed it because of SourceForge's questionable policies. More developers should follow GIMP's lead. It's one thing when an installer offers additional features openly and clearly, and then allows the user to opt out of them. The SourceForge wrapper hides all of its offers unless the user is wary enough to look for them. And then, even if the user opts out of everything, it still installs some of the unwanted components. That is not acceptable. Wi-Fi hotspots can be dangerous. The threat level varies from one location to another. A small coffee shop in a suburban location, eh, you would expect that to be relatively safe. Using a public Wi-Fi connection at a busy airport, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, or really any busy airport anywhere, not so much. There would be some risk there. Crooks like it when lots of people use a Wi-Fi connection, because then their chances are better. But any public Wi-Fi carries some risk. If you're just browsing the internet and not connecting to any website or email service that requires a password, you might be safe. But if your email program automatically checks for new messages every few minutes, you would be broadcasting your credentials in plain text, and you might not even know it. For that reason alone, it's wise to activate virtual private network software whenever you're away from your home or office. Connecting to your secured network at the office or at home can be considered safe. Connecting to any public network, no matter where it is, wired or wireless, should be considered unsafe. Some VPN software is available only for desktop and notebook systems, Windows and OS X. Other applications may work only for Android or Apple devices. A few vendors have applications that are available on all three platforms, and if you have multiple portable devices, a Windows or Apple notebook or tablet, for example, and a smartphone or phablet, Using one piece of software makes a lot of sense. The problem with Wi-Fi connections is that communications are in plain text so that anyone nearby can see whatever you send or receive. As dangerous as that sounds, the threat level probably is relatively small in many locations. A small threat, though, is still a threat. Eliminating the threat is better, and that's where VPN software enters the picture. The threat level is relatively low for several reasons. First, it's a labor-intensive crime. The crook has to go to a location with a public Wi-Fi setup and wait for somebody to use the hotspot in a non-secure manner. In addition, the crook has to be smart enough to figure out how to intercept the signals to and from the computer and make sense of them. And finally, the crook has to actually obtain information that has some value. Crooks generally convince prospective victims to hand over their usernames, passwords, and pins. But... Even so, VPN is safer, and safer is better. A VPN turns your connection via public network into a private connection by encrypting it. A VPN connection is nearly the equivalent of being connected directly to whatever remote resource you need. The software creates a virtual private network, a VPN, by establishing a virtual point-to-point -point connection by using dedicated connections, virtual tunneling protocols, or traffic encryptions. When the VPN connection uses the public Internet, the functionality is similar to a wide-area network, or WAN, between the locations. 
To the user, everything looks about the same, and all of the security measures occur in the background. That means the users can securely access their corporate resources while traveling, or that individuals can connect to resources that hold sensitive personal data at home. I had been using Surf Easy on my Android devices. That's a $48 annual plan, covers five devices. And Surf Easy is available for Windows and Mac computers, as well as Apple and Android phones. The price is reasonable, but I had identified one problem when another problem caused me to remove the application. The first problem was relatively minor. SurfEasy frequently refused to start, claiming a credentials problem. If the VPN software doesn't start, it really can't provide much security. The more serious problem occurred when SurfEasy crashed while starting one day, and it corrupted the Android operating system to such an extent that I had to wipe all the programs and data from a Nexus 7 tablet, restore both the applications and the data from backup, and then reconfigure the device. So I started looking for something else. I've been using Avast's protective applications on both desktop and portable devices for a while. Found that Avast offers secure line for VPN. It works for Apple and Windows computers, as well as for Android and Apple tablets and smartphones. Besides being easy to set up, it also seems to be pretty reliable. At least, it's easy for portable devices. The hardest part about Avast for standard computers is figuring out which of their seemingly endless series of combinations will work best for you. SecureLine for Android devices costs just $20 a year, and a single subscription seems to cover all of your Android devices. One feature I like is that SecureLine can be configured to turn itself on whenever it senses the device is attempting to connect via non-secure Wi-Fi. Or you can turn off the automatic connection and enable it whenever you need it. Additionally, SecureLine can be configured to enable itself and then connect to any of several servers in the U.S. and Europe when it senses you're attempting to log on to a specific Wi-Fi connection. Setting an action based on a connection to a specific Wi-Fi hotspot is as easy as selecting the hotspot and the server location you want it to connect to when you use that hotspot. The control panel shows information about your subscription to the service, expiration dates and such, and if you have the control panel open during the connection process, the background of the little switch that indicates whether it's on or not changes from red to amber and then to green. And you'll see the location of the server the device is connected to. So the bottom line is four cats. Keep your private information private with SecureLine. SecureLine is free to download and try, but the trial period is uncommonly short, just three days. SecureLine provides good security and ease of use. You'll find additional details on the Avast SecureLine website, or for Apple or Android devices, use the appropriate store application. In short circuits, Microsoft missed the internet and was slow to react to mobile computing, but the current management team seems intent on making the company relevant in an age when computers are becoming smaller and work is being done in more locations than ever before. 
In that regard, Microsoft is adopting the Adobe model, buy the best applications you can find, and make them part of your business. Microsoft has acquired the Sunrise Calendar app, which runs on Mac computers, iOS phones, and Android phones. That deal was announced just this week. And two months ago, Microsoft acquired the Android and iOS email app, Accompli, rebranded it, and released it late in January with the name Outlook. When Windows 10 ships, some of the Office suite will be included with Windows phones, and Microsoft has been manufacturing its line of Surface computers. Those are the ones that attempt to bridge the gap between desktop systems and tablets. Microsoft seemed, though, to be seeding the mobile operating system market to Apple and Android. That may be changing, too. Microsoft Vice President Rajesh Jha, in a blog post, said that the creative talent and fresh thinking Microsoft will gain from its acquisitions of Sunrise and Accompli will help Microsoft reinvent productivity. The Outlook mobile application already has calendar and email functions, so the expectation is that functions from Sunrise and Accompli will find their way, over time, into the Microsoft products. Microsoft says that Sunrise will continue to be available without cost for Android and iOS devices. Sometimes being too honest can get you into trouble. Just ask Samsung, the maker of televisions that can listen to you and perform functions based on what you tell them to do. When Samsung recently updated its privacy policy, the result was a firestorm in the media because of a poorly worded bit of text. Some of the televisions include voice recognition that a user can enable or disable. When enabled, users can speak to the television instead of using a remote control. But Samsung put it this way, and I quote, Please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party through your use of voice recognition. So how many breathless stories have you heard in the past week or two on radio or television about Samsung eavesdropping on your conversations at home? Well, it isn't so. Samsung should have written that sentence better. But journalists should have investigated the matter a little bit before jumping on their horses and riding off in all directions spreading alarm. This week, Samsung revised its wording. The previously unnamed third party that receives the voice recordings is Nuance Communications. Nuance is the world's leading creator of voice recognition technology. Samsung also noted that its televisions listen only when the owners explicitly click the activation button on their remote controls or screens. And if you don't like the idea of a television that listens to you, just turn the feature off. So relax and carry on. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.